Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 8 of All This and World War II, and after having passed through some ideas for West Coast Avengers from established Marvel canon that you might want to play in this adventure, uh, we've now reached the much more interesting prospect of creating your own heroes and your own hero team. This section, entitled Designing Your Own Hero Groups, actually started a couple of pages ago with an illustration in between that we talked about last time, so we'll have to skip back all the way to page six to talk a little bit about this whole process, because this really does take you through step by step what you need to do to create a player character group for this module. We kind of got to go through it in sequence. Fortunately, the first step is something I'm going to be doing uh, in another episode, so we don't need to spend much time on it. The first step is creating the individual heroes who will make up the superhero team. Now, superhero creation in the face rip system is extremely fun. Lots of quirks, lots of details that I have decades old gaming thoughts about. But there is no time for that in this episode. And the last thing I'm going to do, given my track record of recording a succinct, pithy episode about such expansive topics as like Scarlet Witch's midwife, I do not like my odds of creating between 9 and 18 superheroes in this episode and still having time to talk about which superhero teams they play for. So for patrons, I'm going to put a thing on Patreon where I'm going to introduce you to some superheroes. And I'll talk there about superhero character creation and all that stuff. Just except for now, we got a crowd here of a dozen superheroes, plus or minus. While we're not going to talk about the individual heroes in this episode, we are going to talk about the team building considerations mentioned back on page six. There are some tips here for making superheroes for a team. The first one is stay away from brooding loners. Uh, It actually says, quote, shadowy creatures of the night and loner types are neat characters, but why would heroes like these ever team up with their comrades in the first place? Because they sell comic books, that's why. Obviously, this module was written before Marvel decided to put Wolverine on every team, but I'm glad because this is good gaming advice. Don't create loners for a team activity. Uh, The other thing is, as we know, comic books are driven by archetypes and stereotypes, and if your team doesn't have all of the essential archetypes of the genre, you'll find that your story's cliche quotient may drop dangerously low. So it is important on the team to avoid redundancy, we need to have different kinds of superheroes, and each team should have three vital types— the scientist, the sneaky one, and the brick. Now, we could have a whole discussion here about the value of stealth in an adventuring group in a role-playing game context. I think it has traditionally not been handled very well for a thing that is theoretically a staple of role-playing. But if I start talking about that, I'm going to run out of coffee to drink. And if I run out of coffee to drink, I will become a brooding misanthrope. And you would all have to hang out in the podcast by yourselves while I go have a limited series where I kill a guy. Next step, still on page six, each hero should have a way that they joined the team. And this is both a feature of the heroes and a feature of the team. Because teams themselves have origin stories, right? Usually really bad ones. Like, the comic book world is full of superheroes with fantastic origins. Lots of real classics. Often, the most iconic and one of the best stories a superhero will have is their origin story. Captain Marvel, DC is Captain Marvel. Billy Batson, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man. Good, good stuff. For superhero teams, the track record is very bad. I mean, the X-Men are good. There's a point, right? It's a school. Professor Xavier wants things to happen in the world, so he starts training kids. Arguably, he's training child soldiers under the guise of providing them a private education, but it's a story with a point, 
of why these people would know each other and why they do what they do. The Fantastic Four tried to fly to the moon, but instead of going to the moon, uh, they turned into weirdos. The Avengers all got drawn into this big imbroglio with the Hulk, and they all just kind of ended up hanging around the same place. And they were just like, hey, we're all superheroes standing in one location. Want to be a team? Justice League, similar story, but instead of the Hulk, they were fighting an alien starfish. The Teen Titans, I don't remember what their current continuity origin is, but I feel like the original one is they were just all kind of hanging out together, having a teenage party in their costumes like dorks. And then some kind of supervillainy happened, and they dealt with it in some kind of distinctively teenage way. And after their first case, one of them was like, hey, groovy guys and dolls, why don't we band together to combat threats that no adult superhero is immature and physically underdeveloped enough to handle? I don't know. Anyway, my point is, teams usually have really bad origins. And in comic book tradition, your team should have a really bad origin, and all the heroes should have a way that they feed into that origin. Why were you there fighting that alien starfish? Were your parents killed by a starfish, alien or otherwise? Or did the alien starfish uh, crash directly into your roof because there's no other way to get your character into the story? The options are endless. Just remember, there is no need to be creative. After you've created heroes, you're on to creating the group. And this is where we start to get into page eight. Now, I'm not going to get deep into it with these teams, but I am just going to kind of brainstorm them because we're going to want to create like a few teams here, at least sketch them out, because this season is going to be different from other seasons of MDC. We're going through adventures, right? So we're going scene by scene. It's a sequence of events that's going to be a lot more interesting to you if you can keep track of what the fuck is happening. And that's going to be easier if we've got some proper nouns in the mix, right? I think if I tell you the player characters did this and then they went here and then they went over here and then they had the option of doing this or this, but either way they end up here, it's just going to get real confusing. Whereas if we got an actual team with an actual name like the Young Republicans comes to mind, I don't know why, the Young Republicans, it's a super team called the Young Republicans and they're on an adventure and they go to meet Nick Fury, which seems like what they would do. Probably very excited about it, fucking losers. And then their leader, with an actual name, you know, the Invisible Hand, gets into a scrape with the Nazis. Don't get excited. It's just because they wouldn't let the Coca-Cola company operate in Nazi Germany. Uh, then I think you're going to be able to follow the story and remember what's going on. This is future editor Chris with a correction. This joke is in reference to Fanta, which was created in Nazi Germany because the Coca-Cola company could no longer operate there. That's true. However... It wasn't Nazi Germany that cut ties with Coca-Cola. It was the United States that finally forced Coca-Cola to stop sending its flavoring mix to local Coca-Cola bottlers in Nazi Germany. But those people still wanted to pursue their lifelong dream of making the Coca-Cola company rich. So they invented a soda called Fanta, which was like Coca-Cola, except instead of being delicious, it was made from these scraps of fruits and vegetables just kind of lying around in the wartime anarchy. But yes, Nazi Germany, while hostile to foreign companies at this time, were not actually responsible for Fanta. That is ultimately the fault of the United States, demonstrating once again that while the Allies were on the right side of that war, their behavior was not blameless. So fortunately, this whole plot is a big fucking railroad. The most branches we ever have are three. So we'll be able to trace every possible route through this story with three teams. And it's almost two. There's exactly one place where there are three ways you can go. So we're going to need three teams. We're supposed to name them first, it says, but that doesn't make any sense to me. But let's go with it. Let's give it a try. Uh, we were just talking about the Teen Titans, so let's do a youth team. We'll do uh, the Zoomers. That needs an adjective. Normally, this is going to be something like mighty or amazing. But if I try to come up with an adjective that Zoomers would use for themselves, I'm only going to embarrass myself. So let's go with the secret Zoomers. Uh, another common naming convention is like the something men, like the X-Men or the Metal Men. Or like the new men from one to gore, but it's always men. So let's do um, let's do an all girl team. Uh, we'll call them the Misfits, like M S period F I T S, kind of a roller derby feel there. 
And these are both a little unconventional. So let's do something more middle of the road, a team that's kind of an institution. Uh, we'll call them Ford's Furies. And I already have a little backstory. Uh, they were formed by presidential decree during the single term presidency of Gerald Ford in an unsuccessful bid to secure his reelection. But then before he lost the election, they saved the planet. Ford left, but Ford's Fury stayed. And so the team has been around ever since. And they're like this old, reliable institution of a team with their members identifiable by the patch that they wear on their shoulder with a green and orange likeness of Gerald Ford. So, okay, we got our teams. Uh, the next thing we need is motivation for the team. There are basically three, mercenary, official, or philanthropic, pretty much self-explanatory. Official just means that they're sanctioned by an organization or government. And philanthropic sounds pretty grand, but it's just the usual superhero arrangement where you don't get paid and you just superhero with no visible means of support. Clearly, Ford's Furies are the official group, and I think I want to make the Misfits the mercenary group. Having either the team of women or the team of Zoomers be just like bright-eyed, good-hearted helpers seems a little bit cliche, but it's got to be one of them. Maybe the Misfits were formed from femme members of all different superhero groups, as well as independent heroes, who kind of got together at like a superhero wedding or whatever and started chatting and were like, this is not sustainable. We can't continue to devote our lives to doing extremely difficult, life-threatening labor that takes up all of our time with no income. And so they kind of left their respective teams, some on better terms, some on worse, and decided to form a world-saving organization that provides, like, health insurance and childcare. Uh, and that leaves the secret Zoomers to be a philanthropic organization. I actually missed a step here. The first thing you do with your superhero team is decide whether it is formal or informal. That is, whether it has, like, rules and a charter and those special issues where they all sit around a table and decide who the new member is going to be, or whether it's an informal team like the Fantastic Four where the issue opens and like everybody's sunbathing on the beach or like everybody's in the kitchen eating their breakfast and then shit starts to go down and you just kind of respond to it ad hoc. Like there's no policy about what we do if there's a kaiju attack during breakfast. We all just kind of know one of us is going to go start up the Fantastic Car and three of us are going to like put the sausage in the fridge for later. For these three teams, I feel like Ford's Furies have to be formal given that they're an official government organization. Uh, the natural move is to have the Misfits be informal, but I think I'm going to go the other way and have them be formal. But it's not like stuffy rules. It's not like they have a constitution. It's like they have rules like Fight Club has rules. We're not sitting around having conferences. We don't take minutes or anything like that. But there's a way you're supposed to act, things you're supposed to do and not do. And we can remind each other of those things. And just for variety, let's make the Secret Zoomers informal. Then we go on to Team Motivations. With motivation out of the way, we turn to leadership. I found the treatment of this interesting. Quote, does the group have a leader? If everyone agrees that the team leader is a player character, the players should probably elect him or her themselves. But be careful here. Allowing one player too much authority as group leader can often cut down on everyone else's fun. If need be, you can solve this problem by either limiting the team leader's authority, he or she only provides suggestions to the other heroes, or serves a mere administrative function, for example, or by talking the players into adopting a rotating leadership policy. I don't really know how people were playing role-playing games at this time, but these all seem like weird and kind of bad ideas to me. Like, I know that in-character leadership can be a problem, but like, if everyone agrees that the team leader is a player character, that's a weird if to start with. Like, are we going to have a superhero team with all of us and then one NPC played by the GM who is the leader and tells us all what to do? That seems unlikely. Also unsustainable. I think you're going to have a superhero mutiny on your hands if you try to pull this as a GM. And then it says if the leader is hogging the table time, cutting down on other people's fun, you can solve this by having the leader only offer suggestions, which is fair enough, or by having them serve a mere administrative function. Like what? Like paying the fucking rent? Like doing payroll? What's the point of having a team leader if all they do is like manage the superhero office? And the idea of having rotating leadership, it's kind of intriguing, 
but maybe not as a solution to this problem. Because if the problem that you're having is because the team has a leader, it's basically like one person is playing the game and everybody else is just rolling dice. If the group is behaving that way, that's the culture at the table. It seems like a non-solution to just like let the players take turns hogging sessions. Uh, the specifics of leadership obviously involve the heroes who are on these various teams, which we're not talking about today. But I'll say uh, to make them a little less stereotypical, just to make an unexpected choice, I'm going to say that Ford's Furies have no leader. They probably have some kind of like round table situation, minus an Arthur. And the secret Zoomers, who are so far a very loosey-goosey group with no rules and no motive but goodwill, uh, will give them a leader. And then the Misfits can have rotating leadership. So we got our bases covered. The final step on this page, also the most interesting one, and the one where we'll find the dumbest thing on this page, is the step of creating what are called plot foils. I'll just quote from the book, which explains it well. Quote, plot foils are recurring characters or organizations that are used by the judge to involve the hero team in adventures or to pass along information to the heroes in order to keep an adventure moving. There are certain basic plot foils that are common to all hero groups. A plot foil can be an NPC friend or enemy, one of a team member's contacts, or even a player character. And he goes on to say, basically, if one of the team members is a scientist, you don't need a science foil for science plots. They can just get the information or hear about the thing themselves. Then, I think very helpfully and very honestly, like I appreciate in this section that the book is being very honest about comic book cliches and just laying them out for you. Every team just needs to check certain boxes for plot foils so that they have a way into different kinds of plots. They are as follows. You need a science foil. If you don't have a scientist on the team, which you're supposed to, as we established back in step one, but in case you forgot, or your scientist gets hit by an amnesia ray or something, develops multiple personalities, it happens, it's comic books. In that case, you need your science foil. And this foil uh, can like look at weird tech for you, go investigate anomalies for you if need be. You also need a press foil. Your team may either be loved or hated by the press, but regardless, they know somebody who's involved with the press who can give them access to newsroom resources, investigate things for them, pass along hot tips. I feel like this foil is not as important now as it was in 1989, but as someone who has recently run Vampire the Masquerade story arcs in the early 90s before the widespread advent of the internet, it's easy to forget how much research sucked before the internet. Did you know that people used to have to find information in physical rooms full of physical documents? And if information wasn't in the room you were standing in, you just had to give up and acknowledge that you didn't know that thing right now. Truly a dark age. Thank God that now we can know anything with the press of a button, or at least find an anonymous individual who claims to know that thing. Um, you need an academia foil. This is going to be a professor or librarian, it says, who can find obscure knowledge for you, or help you figure out clues in the adventure. And then finally, and this is the dumbest thing in this page, but the book's not wrong, quote, hostage. Finally, there is always someone who is relatively weak, innocent, and close to the heroes that makes a dynamic hostage for the villains. Many hero teams have more than one hostage plot foil. Alicia Masters is one of the Fantastic Four's hostage plot foils, which is um, an unsentimental way to look at it. I mean, I really like Alicia Masters, but you have to admit, I mean, she comes into the Fantastic Four's story as the mistreated daughter of a horrible old man who is beautiful, too pure for this world, blind, and did I mention that she's Ben Grimm's girlfriend? It would be impossible to design a better hostage. Like, for maximum sympathy and minimum risk, you want to be kidnapping Alicia Masters. This is the dumbest thing on this page, because what it's asking the players to do is to come up with a designated kidnapping victim at character creation, essentially. Here's a person we all care about whose job is to be kidnapped when the GM decides someone needs to be kidnapped to get us into a plot. On the one hand, you're going to feel silly doing this. On the other hand, 
I think this might be secretly a brilliant idea because often what will happen is that players will want to invent all kinds of friends and contacts and relationships and all this stuff in their character's uh, backstory. And you'll develop relationships in play too. You know, you'll bring NPCs into your life and involve them in all your bullshit. And as we discussed before with, uh, you know, Moon Knight's contacts, some of these characters, uh, turns out we don't care about that reporter. So we just kind of forget about them and they fall out of the game. And you end up with a cast of consistent NPCs who are like the people that the characters actually organically have come to care about and have subplots with. And there can be hard feelings when the GM then inevitably feels the need to kidnap one of these people or put them in some kind of danger because, hey, fuck you, buddy. We decided that we like that person. And you reacted to that the way you always do, which is by tying them up on a fucking conveyor belt that leads to a buzzsaw. And number two, hey, fuck you, buddy. I was having a subplot with that person. And now I got to put it on hold because they're somewhere tied to a conveyor belt headed toward a buzzsaw. It's just a mismatch of expectations. And so it actually makes a ton of sense to say, okay, here's the person that you know who is a helpful scientist. Here's a person you know that works in the press. And then here's a person whose only thing is when I, the GM, need to threaten someone, this is the designated person to threaten. We're all going to sign on the dotted line on this. I will pick on this person when someone needs to be picked on as the GM. You, the player, will agree to both care about this person and be motivated by danger to their lives and not to get pissed at me when I put them in that danger. And you can then also decide, like, what kind of a romantic partner does everybody want to have? You want a boyfriend who's a brilliant scientist? Okay. Is he a science foil so that he's a continual source of uh, scientific information and clues and analysis for the team? Or is he a hostage foil and he's a brilliant scientist? But what that means is that from time to time, supervillains want to steal his brain and combine it with other scientists' brains to form a 12-foot-tall mutant scientist made of brains. We can go either way with this character. It just depends on what you want to do with this boyfriend. Do you want to jump his bones or do you want to rescue his brains? What is the relationship dynamic? I I truly love the idea of the hostage foil. And yes, you could raise the logical issue of like, if this person is often enough in peril that like a lot of our time as a team and a lot of our resources are devoted to going and giving them a ride home from whatever supervillain's base they've ended up in, wouldn't that be a relationship we would need to change at a certain point? Like, do we not at some stage tell Snapper Car to fuck off so we can get some work done? But it's comic books. The dumbness is from the comic books. On the RPG side, this is a a very faithful, insightful, and honest adaptation of that dumbness, which I can only applaud. So far, all this stuff has been pretty good. But join me tomorrow when this section fails to stick the landing with its approach to super team equipment on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening. 